0: just like that we're back with another badass episode this life ain't for everybody brought to you again by the one and only the iconic tennessee sour mash whiskey jack daniels thank you everything that the Lynchburg family does for our brands enjoy it responsibly never allow underage drinking but we truly appreciate the downloads and hoping y'all are loving the diversity and guests We're bringing it. We're bringing it. And today we are really bringing it. Y'all know my fascination with real, real music. And I'm not saying anything bad today about what's on the radio. But my guest today has uh, he's rocked my world many times. He's from Texas. I believe the Woodlands, Texas. um, But I've seen him all over America at different venues, rocking the crowd. His songs are amazing. His songwriting i don't even know like what's better the way he writes songs the way he delivers songs the way he can run a crowd and um he's got a new album out that i just have to start this off before i introduce jack but this album if you have not heard the marfa tapes um so simple to me and just like it it's just like they left their freaking recording device recording as they sat around a fire i'm going to get the story about this album but it it just mesmerizes you when you listen to it song to song to song do not skip one of them the marfa tapes jack ingram the one and only how are you my brother
1: i'm doing really well how you doing
0: good man i'm a huge fan first off we'll get that out of the way i'm sure you know that through kevin but man i just wanted to say welcome to the show and i wish that I well I should say I hope that now that COVID's laying down that I get to see you rocking a crowd pretty soon.
1: Well COVID's yeah, we I played four shows this last three shows this last weekend and four the weekend before, all in front of people, having like big crowds, having a good time. Uh down here in Texas, man, it's kind of might be over.
0: <laughs> Knock on wood. Um, What does it mean to you, Jack, to be able to stand behind that microphone and look out there and see what I consider, and it continues to grow, but this cult following that you have is... It's amazing to me, right? It's one of those things to where they sing along to every song. They can't wait for the new music to come out. They fill the merch booths. What What does it mean though? Like you're you're my age. About it. I'm 46. You're born right right before me. You're you're He's a right. te- you're a Texas musician that has gone into um, you know major radio before. I want to get that story a little bit if you don't mind talking about that in the future. But what does it mean to be able to go to Green Hall or some of the different iconic places in Lukenbach, Texas or Austin, Texas? and see what has become this 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 cult following of jack ingram
1: well it's it's funny if you'd asked me that a year and a half ago i might have i might have had a slightly different answer not with not near as much uh gratitude as i have now because after spending a year not being able to do that uh it's it's pretty it's pretty humbling really you know to, to know that i, I started Playing music just in my room, got a little crowd when I was 20 years old, 21 years old, and, and that's grown into what it is now to where I have a full-blown living making music, man, and getting, getting to be in front of people and getting to work the show and write the songs and sing the songs and record them and, and getting people jazzed up about them and, and watching their reaction when I play a new song. It's, it's really quite special
0: when you were talk about those early days Jack when you first started playing music in your room were being from where you're at did you have kind of a multi-level influence of the 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 king of country music they call George Strait who comes from your state of Texas but you also <laughs> have you also have one of the probably the most iconic cult followings <laughs> of all time with Willie Nelson from the state of Texas then you have the Jerry Jeffs who rest in peace Jerry I've, I've seen Jerry live he used to come to Austin for his birthday party every year. Did you yeah. have did you have the influences from the 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 mainstream George Strait style but then you also had Bob Wills and Texas Swing and Willie Nelson and then the outlaw movement and then did you have the southern rock and the rock and roll going on at the same time?
1: All that. I mean, you know, that's the thing. When I was growing up, George Strait was king of the world still, like, you know, he was he, his career was just starting, you know, like when I was aware of music in the mid-80s. <laughs> But you know, Willie Nelson was was mainstream at that time too. He had hits on the radio. It wasn't just a cult thing back then. And so I knew that you could be funky and 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 weird like Willie or be straight down the middle country. And then also I used to go see Jerry Jeff in high school. I used to sneak into shows of his when I was when I was growing up. And all that stuff. And then, you know, I was very aware of Joe Ely and and then my brother went to college, and my brother's older than me, and he, he brought back uh, you know like back before Springsteen was Springsteen. you know he, he brought before uh, you know born in the USA, you know like born to run and stuff like that. So all those influences to me just sounded like rock and roll, whether it was whether it was Willie or, or Jerry Jeff. I mean I knew George Strait was country, but the guys that I really, really gravitated towards. Have always been kind of punk rock
0: kind of when you start talking about and, and hopefully you, I know that Jerry Jeff was an influence and a friend of yours um, yeah why what made him good if you don't mind talking about your friend Jerry Jeff for a second, because when I first saw him live and then start i saw him one time at the nfr in vegas with david allen co and then i started i started seeing him all over from the you know the grizzly rose and in, in, in denver to reno to texas all over like i said I started going to his birthday saw him and buffett together at the paramount theater and we went to the broken spoke and then we went over to lukenbach what made him so special i, I see you get a smile on your face because i know that you've rocked all of those places also and that that's what's so cool about texas music um but what made Jerry Jeff different to you and why did he have such a great career after he did the Bojangles and the, and, and, and got off to that start?
1: Well, I think the appeal to me has, was always, uh, it's just something about making shit work with, with duct tape and bubble gum and, and, you know, you're, you're flying a plane and it's always, it's always almost out of, out of gas. You know, it's always almost about to go down in flames. And, but it never does, you know. Like, even when he went down in flames, you know, screwing up shows or whatever, it was glorious. And uh, I just think there's something about that scrappy, you know, he, he's, the, he's, he's the shortstop in, uh, in the Bad News Bears,
0: Dude, that's that's why that's why you're such an amazing songwriter because of the way you just explained Jerry Jeff's career. I mean, that, nobody's ever said shit like that about Jerry Jeff to me. That's so perfect, though.
1: <laughs> it just makes sense to me. And every time I'd see him, I'd even when he was pissed off and yelling at the crowd or yelling at the lighting guy because the lights are too hot, it was just magical. And I'm I miss him dearly. I I uh, I really miss him.
0: Do you? Do you explain or could you describe some of your career in the same way of like that? how you said it was kind of that willy weirdness and that rowdiness and that scrappiness? I love that word, like grit, right? Like you hear the word grit and a lot of people might associate it with the original John Wayne classic, True Grit. But there is something about having grit and being gritty in your line of work, right? And like what well, you'd like surviving yeah. almost, right?
1: Yeah, it's, it, it. a lot of it is survival, you know, or, so. I, before I started having some real success in my career, I, I called it the war of attrition. Cause you know, there's 10 bands trying to work the same club, even in the, just a small town, little, you know, in the small pond and you just keep going and keep going and keep going. And then one drops out you keep going and keep going and another drops out. And then all of a sudden there's eight bands there and then there's seven and then there's six. And then at, at the end of the day, there's one band left that wasn't necessarily better than everybody. Just, more unwilling to give up and there's something about that. i mean there's also there's also the measure of talent and all of that but that's never really factored into my side of the career uh talent my talent has always been shown after i just stood there going come on hit me again hit me again <laughs> you know that, that scene in cool Hand luke when they're when he's in the fight yeah that's kind of what it's always that's why i've always loved that movie because there's a bit of that in every career whether you're talking about bob dylan or 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 jerry jeff or me or todd or hayes or george Strait, i mean there's something about this business that makes you go come on is that all you got
0: do you ever talk about and are you open to talking about jack ingram of the transition and i always can i never know where guys like you stand on this and i call it kind of where i witnessed what pat green went through um did that happen to you did it do you did you transition from texas music to try to do the nashville deal and if you don't want to talk about it i understand but it seems like when jack did it he almost lost that te- you mean when he, Pat did it? I mean, I'm sorry. When Pat did it, he almost lost that Texas support. And I don't know if that's naive to say that or think that way, but it seems like he was a huge star with you and Corey Morrow and all these guys, then did Wave on Wave, and then when that ended and he tried to come back to Texas, it was almost like the support wasn't there. Is there something to be said that once you're Texas music, you better stay Texas music?
1: Well, I always looked at it a little differently. There is that element. There's an element of any, of any band coming from – whatever hometown where the where, where the where the people said you're ours you know whether you're trying to whether Van Halen was trying to move out of LA and go to national or whether you know every band has a local following at some point that owns them that says we we're, we're the coolest in the neighborhood because we know of this badass band and we get to show everybody who this guy is I mean that's just that's the way it was when, when I was coming up with Robert O'Keefe. it was cool that nobody knew who he was and I got to show all my friends like hey, I got this new guy I love, and so there's always that element of them holding on to that and going, well, "We liked your old shit better." Well, it's because there was a there was an investment by the that that local crowd, whether it's Texas is local or whatever whatever your local is. And so I always said it wasn't it wasn't about jumping to Nashville. Was, I always told my label when I was having hits on the radio, I said, "Man, y'all better." Y'all better help me jump the Canyon. Cause if I get stuck, if y'all leave me high and dry here in the middle of the air and I haven't landed the next jump yet, I'm fucked. And so that's kind of what you can get caught up in it, but it's also, and that's if you're thinking about it on paper, but in my heart, from the minute I started, I, I wasn't, I wasn't a Texas act. You know, I've always been from Texas and wear it on my sleeve and it's going to be that way forever. But I was always, my heroes were George Strait and Willie Nelson and Jerry Jeff. And those guys had national audiences, international audiences. And I was always like, why? I, the only way you can be a hometown hero is if you go outside your hometown. You know, you gotta come back a hero. And that was always real important to me. Not just, not just from a career standpoint, as, as fans go and everything else, it was more like just from an artistic standpoint. I. Didn't, I didn't want to just, you know, like my heroes were also Bruce Springsteen, the Rolling Stones and, and people like that, where you go out and you kick ass and you're not, you're not from anywhere. You're from whatever town you're in that night. You know, that's, that's what it's always felt like to me. And so, but the reality is that it's hard, you know, you, cause you, cause if you don't make it huge, you have to have always, you have to, have, you can't just go, go be a stripper and then, and then come back and be a ballroom dancer.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Another you know, great one.
1: You know, like you just got you got to keep your your heartbeat about you, keep your keep your instincts about. Hey, man, you know, I want to I want everybody to know who I am, but not at the expense of being a clown.
0: Do you? I, I often think about a life like yours. Of I'm in this town tonight. I'm here tonight and I'm gone tomorrow and on to the next. And it's another crowd. It's another it's another song list. It's another set list. It's whatever it is. It's touring. It's that life. Do you feel at your age now when you look back, Jack Ingram, that, Man, what a fulfilling life. Like, this is what I envisioned. Because to me, it's almost like, well, now I got to start thinking about this coming Thursday show. Do you take time to pump the brakes and reflect on what you've actually achieved and 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 who you are running with and the, the everything from the philanthropy and your and your charitable work with McConaughey and, and Texas football and everything that you've done with Miranda and this new album? You you have achieved so much. Do you ever stop to think and go, like, man? What a freaking badass life, or is it just on to the next? No, it's it's.
1: There's always been a bit of that, a bit of that ability to 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 stop and reflect. Because you, you know, for every for every two hours you see me on stage, rocking it and having a good time, or, or doing my solo acoustic thing, for any time you see me playing, there's there's 22 hours of the rest of the day, and a lot of a lot of that when you're on the road is driving or or riding and it's very, it can be very contemplative. You know, like you, when I used to drive the van, I mean, you know, I'd be driving at four or five in the morning after a show and listening to Towns Van Zandt on the cassette player and, and thinking, holy man, this is what I wanted. This is happening. And that's still how, I, that's still how it hits me. It's like, I'll be on stage, especially now after COVID. You know, I find myself on stage blurting out like, oh my, can you believe we're here? Like. I think about it all the time about the fact that we get to do this for a living. I mean, you know, four in the afternoon here, you and I are talking about music. I mean, that, that was always the goal.
0: Do you think that your catalog is an expression of your life? are these songs Absolutely. are these songs that I've rocked out to for the last fifteen years of my life are they real like could I go into your head sometime and see like holy shit he lived these songs
1: that's always been so my dad was a big fan of music my dad's still alive but um you know he's seventy seven not not as withered as he used to be but uh the reason why he loved all those especially willie nelson but all of of those great songwriters, he he said the same thing to me when I was a kid. He goes, you know, and this is before I was playing music. He would say, you can go on Willie Nelson's records and look at the songs and then read his biography. And he was living those songs as he was recording them or writing them. And uh, so I think I just naturally gravitated towards, I remember thinking, a, that I wanted to get out and live life so I could have stuff to write about. And B, I remember I was talking to Rodney Foster one time and I said, the, the problem with guys like you and me and, is that we didn't, I don't have a shtick. I just have to be great. <laughs> you know, Because like, the, the competition that I'm up against as far as deserving to be here are some of the greatest songwriters in American history whether it's Dylan or Jerry Jeff or Willie or Waylon or those guys, like, like some guys have a cool shtick, like they, they're heavy beer drinker, or, they, or they're just some kind of something that makes them kind of a cartoonish character, you know, like Hank Jr. with the hat and the glasses. Um, not a, I shouldn't say cartoon, but you know what I'm talking about, kind of a caricature that it can kind of be this other thing. Even yeah. Willie had the braids.
0: Almost where you wouldn't recognize him if you didn't have the hat and glasses on.
1: Yeah. And so I, I remember thinking about halfway through my career, like whenever things weren't going that well, I was like, God damn, I wish I had a shtick. I wish, I wish somebody knew me for something other than just wanting to be a great, honest songwriter. And it took time before that thought left my head. You know, I had to go out and write some songs that really do stand up that uh, now I feel pretty comfortable with that
0: the entire career it's been like a i don't know if it's kind of like you just keep upping the game with your songwriting but do you feel that improvements have been made in that aspect because when i listen to your early stuff i still like that it's amazing but then i listen to the stuff that you're doing now and it's amazing is there an improvement era of a songwriter to where you learn the trait or the skill a little bit better? Because to me, songwriting is amazing to tell a story in three, three and a half minutes. It's amazing. You feel like, you know, you feel like, you know, your car, you feel like, you know, that, you know, when you, when you came out with Barbie doll, like you feel like, you know, this, you live that, you know, it's like, do you, do you improve throughout your career as a songwriter? Or do you always just have that ability to do so?
1: Well, I think it's, I don't think that you well I don't know if you improve or not you you you'd, you'd have to hope to think that you do just the same way a mechanic at 20 is hopefully a better mechanic at 40 than he was at 20 you know what I mean like you just learn easier ways around things you you, you learn to 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 you kind of can tell when you're writing yourself into a into a corner uh but the one thing that i do know for sure that i that you get better at with just with anything that you do as far as meditation goes or getting your headspace into like i call it turning the faucet on you know writing songs for me is like there's a faucet that you that you turn on and and when you're young in your career that concept you don't even really aware of that concept necessarily and then you get better and faster at learning how to turn that on so that you can so that you can free flow and, and let and let words and music come together in your brain and work with other people and and you just get you know if, if you if you're a you know if you do yoga or if you do meditation or if you go running all the time where i can say you work out like whatever that is you get you get to where you know what you're doing so well you can jump into that mode a lot quicker and a lot easier that's kind of what i know i get better at as far as the as far as the words and and melly i think that kind of has to do with i think that's the part that you have to be, you have to be inspired
0: And you've been inspired by several people that we've already discussed, but when you start thinking about the people that you've been in a room with, okay, and and, I mean, Miranda is arguably the new dolly i mean she's unapologetic she's country as shit she she wins the awards she packs the house but she still got that like almost that guns and roses danger to her like when axel first came out with jungle and was wearing like just the weirdest she he wasn't a hairband to me guns and roses was dangerous she still has that edginess and that grit and that danger to me almost to where like she is a wild card like she is but um you are her friend, a dear friend. You get to call heroes friends. Does that make sense to you that you get to call our heroes friends? And that's freaking crazy. So talk great. to me. Talk to me a little bit about how great and crazy that is. And give me like that first holy shit moment to where you are like, am I am I really walking onto Willie's bus or did Willie just invite me to <laughs> s- smoke a joint? <laughs> like, give me that first. Do you remember the first one where you are like, holy shit, this is happening?
1: <laughs> well I remember I remember I was driving down the road this is way back when when cell phones just came out like I still had the, the car phone that was kind of hardwired into the dashboard and uh had still had a cord on it and I remember I was driving with a buddy who was who was a friend of mine from grade school and he and he'd gone on to he was in medical school you know and he was kind of worried about well not worried about me but like is this real Ingram like what are you doing and I was like No, it's real. We were driving down the highway and and Willie Nelson, the phone rang and I picked it up and it was Willie Nelson. And he, and he called me to, to invite me to be on the, uh, fourth of the fourth of July that year for his picnic. And I was like, bam, that's right. (laughs) And, uh, and then this is no lie. Not five minutes later, Ray Wiley Hubbard called me on the same line and asked me to come sing, uh, Dallas After Midnight, a a duet with him on one of his records. And so, and then that's the starting point of, then Jerry Jeff Walker called me and invited me to go hang out with him for a week in Belize at his, at his beach house and, and ended up getting on Willie's bus and smoking with Willie and just all the little (laughs) things that you just go, whoa, like all the things that you dreamed of as a kid that were, that you couldn't even dream up, but you find yourself and you go, okay, keep your shit together. But this, you're really here. Be here.
0: (laughs) I can't imagine like, like, being able to rate them or the experiences it's just like you can't each one you know has its own piece of your heart i would assume that and i would almost guarantee that because you can't say that what you just did with this new album is any less of meeting willie and being getting that first phone call from it's like everything's going to have some kind of nostalgic value to jack ingram where in your music history or your discography where does the unleashed Project and I'm and when I say that I'm talking about the the album you did with Charlie and Bruce. What kind of friends are they? And I I, I think that I heard that Charlie isn't performing anymore. He can't or something, which really sucks because I love his stuff too. But what yeah, where he's great. where does that project sit in your lifeline of of or, or kind of like your your portfolio of work, Jack?
1: Well, it's funny you mentioned that in particular because. I have had a few, a few of these records where it's collaborate, collaboration with other artists, like this, the Marva Tapes now with Miranda and John Randall. That's obviously what it is, and it's, that, that's magical. Um, but the Unleashed stuff is, is looking back on, I feel like that was, I don't know how to put it, because we are really, like I'm really good friends with Bruce still, we hang out quite often go out beers or whatever charlie's a little bit of a recluse these days but it's almost like we were on a badass little little basketball team that almost made it to the championship game you know like we almost we, we were good we had fun we did something and it's special but it's almost equally as special by what it didn't become as by what it did become you know what i mean it and that's not a that's not a uh, that's not a lament. That's not me being sorry about it. It's actually a great memory. It's just the three of us, Charlie and Bruce and I, we did something really fun and, you know, got us, got us to the next spot for ourselves. It didn't really do what we thought it would do as far as commercially, but we sure did have a damn good time.
0: Do you have any idea why it didn't? Because it's an amazing piece of work. That's why I brought it up. Um, Do you have any idea why it didn't do what you intended for or thought it would do? I think it was because
1: at that time of our career, we didn't really know what we we even wanted it to do. We were just in our late 20s and just flying by the seat of our pants. I mean, that's part of what it was. Part of why it's good is, is because of what it was and part of, what it was is why I didn't catch on as much because it was it wasn't really all uh, and that's the beauty of it. it it wasn't like streamlined in a commercial way it was just these three friends from Texas sticking their middle finger up at the at the establishment going we'll do whatever we want
0: <laughs> so, <laughs> which is fun did it did it bite you in the ass at all of sticking that middle finger up you think.
1: Well, I had that middle finger up for a few years, and and I think I intended it to be that way because my heroes did that: Guy Clark, Jerry Jeff, Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, uh, even Merle Hack. Like most of my heroes were commercially successful by accident, you know, and so I think coming into a career like this, if you're not going to just go down the middle of the road, you have to be, you have to be willing to go. No, I'm not going to do it your way. Like, I don't buy, I don't buy what you guys sell. And I don't want to make something. I don't want to try and sell something that I wouldn't buy. So I'm, so I can't, by definition, I can't have the career I want and fit in with you guys because I don't really enjoy what you guys do as much as, as the guys that are doing it do, you know, like like I, look, let's take let's take it for example, I've I've learned a lot about the commercial music world because of being in it uh, and having hit songs and all that. I realized at some point that Kenny Chesney isn't isn't making any excuses for his music. He loves it. He would buy it. He, he he's he's he plays his records on on eleven whenever he makes them, and. In order for me to fit in commercially, it was just, I had, a, I had a little different conversation going on in my head. Sometimes in order to fit in in what was happening on the radio, I had to make a few uh, compromises, which is fine. You got to make compromises. But with art, I don't know, there's something about art that I don't think Kenny Chesney's ever making a compromise. And, and in order to fit in, I felt like I kind of had to. And uh, at the end of the day, anything that's pure has to be pure to work. You can't, you know, you can't let up on, on the gas at all.
0: I I referred to G and R of dangerous in my opinion, and tell me what your thoughts are and maybe answer a question for me. Jack Ingram is the Nashville top 40 radio country. I, if you listen to this podcast and all of the guests that I've had on, um, I, I, some people would say that I'm on a soapbox sometimes about like, they don't play real country music on the radio and everybody kind of calms me down by saying, look, you know, streaming and everything out there, you're going to be able to find the music that you want to listen to. But I always come back to that and say, yeah, but Jack Ingram's real music. Brent Cobb is real music. These guys that are, that are, that I've been listening to since I was in college that, but I guess I really don't have. Uh, you know a place to say that in a lot of people's opinion but to me Nashville's too safe and in your opinion do you think like what just happened in the last six months with somebody like morgan wallen who has had some success who is becoming a better songwriter all the time who's a young kid you know he's in his mid-20s do you think that's good for country music that there was a little danger and there was a little bit of that outlawishness i'm not saying what he said was okay but no i get it do you think that we I need a little bit of that edginess in country music
1: well we don't that's the thing is it it's not something that's needed or like every artist that comes through and and makes an impression like morgan has and and i agree what you know him him talking shit in the middle of the night take it or leave it you know i don't i don't agree with that but i also know that i've said a lot of stupid shit in the middle of the night that that i would not want to have recorded uh whether it's who knows what it could be, what the subject matter is. It's just, we all do shit. You I know, mean, nothing good happens after midnight. So, weird. So <laughs> uh But any great artist that's come, that's come on and made an impact like he has, like Miranda did, does like Stapleton does, like Willie did, like, look, it's always something that, that the people that, that end up loving it, didn't know they needed it. It's, huh. it's, that's why it's surprising. And it's not, and it's not, it's not planned by the artist or by the fan. It's just, holy shit. What is that? That, 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 that bends my ear the way only few things do. And it's exciting. I I still get that as, I'm like, man, my kid, look, my, my daughter likes Morgan Wall, And so does my sister-in-law and my wife. And you know, a lot of my, when I'm in the boat driving kids around, um, it's about the only time I listen to music because I, you know, cause I make it for a living. So anytime I'm listening to music, it kind of reminds me of being in my job. So I kind of, you know, I'd rather listen to something that has nothing to do with me. But like when I, when they started playing Morgan Wallen last summer, I was like, Oh man, who's that? Those are some badass songs. Like that, that doesn't even make me jealous. It just makes me, I know I couldn't do what he's doing, but good. What is that? And there's only a few artists like that, you know? I mean, so yes, is it good for country music? Of course, it's always good to have a true artist, even if he's a redneck, shit talking dude like Morgan. I don't care what he you know. I, we we grew up around redneck shit talking dudes, like <laughs> that has nothing to do with being an artist. I mean, I don't know what I don't know what Van Gogh's personality was like. I don't give a shit. I don't care. You know I really don't care what Morgan Waller has to say about anything politically. Oh. Uh, just the same way i don't expect him to care what i think it's just more like man give me give me what you got because whatever that is it, it's it's punching me in the gut
0: man that's a great way to put it. i love the way you lay shit out i need to ask you then about um an artist that has become what they call an honorary texan can you please explain to my audience what that even is and ex- <laughs> explain to me and I don't, I don't even know, I've never, this is not scripted with Jack Ingram. Um, I want to know your honest opinion about an artist from Kentucky named Chris Knight, who is an honorary Texan. Does that hit home to you to hear that name with his songwriting and his, his catalog? Oh, yeah. Because to me, he's like, he is the shit when it comes to making me feel what you just described as being punched in the gut.
1: Yeah, he's, well, Texans have a, have a, elevated view of themselves that we always have. The Same way people from Kentucky do too. You know, there's, there's only a few, st- I think, I think Kentucky and Texas are the only republics or states that were once republics of their own. Um, and maybe Virginia, but anyway, uh, you know, we throw around that honorary and stuff. Like when I, like when Chris Stable came and played the Mac Jack McConaughey, the, the charity event we do, he, he got my tag as an honorary Texan, you know, even though he's not from Texas. And it's this thing where it's like if you kind of, if, you, if your art and your music, if we can, if, if a guy from Texas that's proud of being a Texan like I am or whatever, and you see somebody else making art or music that's obviously living up to their own high standards, past, past the standard of, of being popular or being liked, it's this other standard of like, would I play this for Willie Nelson? Would I play this for Jerry Jeff? Would I play this for Towns Van Zant? Would I play it for Guy Clark? Would I play it for George Strait? That has nothing to do with commercial viability. It has to do with your own, your own standards. And, uh, and, you know, Texans are pretty, pretty proud of the fact that we have standards as far as that goes. Bob Wills came from here. Willie, Kristofferson. You know, there's 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 a high bar for there's a high watermark for for art down here, and for being for the for the fans. You know, that we have our own music scene. You know, when you go to Michigan, nobody says, "Hey, man, you're part of the music, Michigan music scene," but they know what the Texas music scene is.
0: So, in your would Chris Knight get the Jack Ingram stamp for an honorary Texan with what you know with what you're or are oh, you hell. fawn?
1: From way back. From my, I remember when he first put out that record with Frank Liddell, nineteen
0: ninety seven.
1: With, with yeah, it was when I it was when I first made my f- first record with Steve Earle, and and I remember that I heard his record and I was like, Oh my God, that's good, and uh, and they the label that I was on, he was on Decca Records at the time, and they had made that record just shortly before I made my record, and. Th- my label wouldn't put out my record until they figured out how they were going to mark how the other Decca records was going to market and try and sell chris knight's record and then (laughs) so i was aware of that that they were waiting to see like what the plan was to try and sell this music that's that's never changed it's not it was too rock for country too country for rock all that all that stuff that is always the the go-to like well i don't know um and then they were doing a video for I think either Framed or.
0: It or, ain't easy being me.
1: Uh, it ain't easy being me, and and Chris got drunk and got in a fight with the with the director. <laughs> <laughs> and, like all this shit happened, I was like, well, man, that that doesn't bode well for me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't think he stayed in Nashville with Frank much longer after that. I think he was like, I, I'm rock, I'm rolling, I'm out of here.
1: I remember he said, if I can get it, this was back in '97. And even then it was kind of funny like he goes if I can make 100,000 bucks in this business I'm retiring and going to going to my ranch in Kentucky. Like 100,000 bucks <laughs> was going to last him for 50, 50 60 years you know.
0: <laughs> and his mindset in front. Of, I mean I, Chris I mean that, he's he he's pro- good man. He's I bet you he's cutting up a deer right now and it ain't even deer season. Like yeah, he's, he's just a, uh, he's uh, great.
1: I, I wrote a song with him one time. Oh, uh, did you really? Yeah, it's called uh stained glass window and uh the light from the stained glass window shines down on my brother and me um so anyway he i was staying at the shoney's motel right there on music row and uh he drove from kentucky in his i think it was like a nissan truck and He comes in the parking lot, and I had my door open because he was running a little late, so I was just going to see if I heard him or whatever. And I hear this (laughs) coming in, and I was like, what the hell? And he had driven from Kentucky, like two and a half, three-hour drive, and he couldn't get his truck out of second gear. (laughs) 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 So he was driving like (laughs) 7,000 RPMs for 150 miles. (laughs) (laughs) He's a good guy.
0: I I just I just wanted to um, hold on one second. I'm bringing this up on you on this. Is there is that song on an album that you wrote with him?
1: I've never I've never recorded it. I'm looking for the. uh, I think I I think I did the demo of it one time. I should send it to you.
0: Were you part of the Jerry Jeff Belize project of like the cat? Was it cowboy boots and bathing suits? Were you? Were you down you know, there? That was about, that that was about
1: the time. That was about the time I was hanging out there with him. Y-
0: you got but, to uh, be. You I, got I, to see that.
1: I got to see him do his thing out. You know, you know that the birthday thing he, he did all, for all those years. They kind of set up a similar, a similar situation in, in Belize at Ambergeese Key, where they would have. 150 200 fans come down, stay at the hotels there. Little, you know, it was, they don't even have a. It's just a dirt road. One dirt road goes through the whole island. And uh, Jerry Jeff would set up and play at one venue one night, like a rowdy night one night, a real singer songwriter night one night. Then he had his friends come. That's where I, you know, I think Todd was down there once or twice, and I was down there once or twice. It was really cool.
0: Did you participate in what they just did for him a couple weeks ago?
1: Man, I got, in a, I, got, I got crossways with Susan. You did? Well, which is actually a badge of honor.
0: <laughs> all I right, I got it. You pissed Susan off.
1: Yeah, you don't do that. I, uh, they, they were t- trying, they were. So I was on the bill, it was like Rodney Crow and Steve Earl and Emmylou Lou Harris and Jimmy Buffett and Keith Sykes. And anyway, all these great songwriters, all my heroes and uh lloyd mains was the band leader and like two months before the event he started texting me and i was only playing two songs and he started texting me like daily about we got to get you we gotta get what songs you're doing we gotta get what songs you." i was like dude chill out you know i had i was releasing the marfa tapes and do, i was doing stuff i was busy and and i was kind of just being flippant you know just being a smart ass and he goes, man. Susan's really on me to get your songs. I go tell Susan to kiss my ass. I'll get the songs there in a minute. And so he, so he told her that I said that. And I was like, dude, you weren't supposed to tell her that for real. <laughs> so she got pissed off and kicked me off.
0: Did she really? Come on.
1: I love her, man. I love her. She, she, she had a good point because I texted her and said, hey, I was just kidding. She goes. Sorry if my sense of humor is is a little out of whack as I'm mourning my the death of my husband of 46 years. So t- taken in in that light, she had every right to, to be pissed off at me. I was being a little dick.
0: So like but, this is this is one moment to where like you wish you would have been on that bill no matter what.
1: Absolutely, man. I've, I you know, I normally don't regret being a smart ass cuz it's fun and if you you know, fuck them if they don't have a sense of humor. But you know i i I should have been more aware of susan's situation and you know he's one of my heroes it's i could have i could have told them any two songs and i would have been able to go up there and play them anyway like it doesn't matter what songs i pick it's just being there to pay tribute to a hero so I, i felt really bad still you know it's one of those things where i'll 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 laugh about it and have a joke about it and think it's funny that i pissed susan off but at the end of the day man i respect. The hell out of her and him, and shouldn't shouldn't have been a little. You know, that's like. Remember that I was telling you about I had, I had my finger up to the to the world for a couple years. Yeah, that that's like it's like, hey man, I'm 50 years old. I'm, I don't need to be, you know, have some respect.
0: Like a maturity thing, right? Like it's almost yeah, like we, like go, we me, go. I was
1: acting like I was acting like a kid, like a dumbass kid. And I'm not.
0: Well, because so. and I and I obviously it, everything happens for a reason, but it probably would have taken you maybe five minutes to send a text of like i'm gonna do i'm gonna i'm gonna do maybe like uh up against the wall redneck or whatever right like (laughs) yeah (laughs) it wouldn't have taken very long
1: i could have just said you pick them i don't care i'll do any of his songs you know what i mean well which one would it be
0: which one one would you want it to be though
1: though? yeah i wanted to be there which one would
0: you which one would you want it to be though
1: i was gonna do uh the song called derby day
0: Oh my God, dude. A man Yo, must carry you. on. A man must carry on. Great. I, if, I, if I took this video and walked through into my little uh, studio, it's one of the albums that uh, vinyls I have because like that in Rodeo Cowboy, like, um, oh God, that album, both of them, volume one and two, like I'm just the narration. And then when he does Derby Day to this day, I consider myself a huge Jerry Jeff fan and I have no freaking idea what he's talking about. And I've tried to break it down a hundred times. I have no idea what the song's about. I, I know that. Oh, I, I know it's so about a ho- horse and all this shit. I just, it's like I don't get it. That's my favorite part. So I'm, I have a recording of me doing
1: the whole song word for word with the intro. This is uh John called Derby Day. Oh god. Dave, Foolish Pleasure Lost.
0: Oh god, you're making me get goosebumps, bro.
1: So the whole thing is that he he and Susan. It, the Kentucky Derby was a big was a big deal for him. He liked it. They went a couple times, I think. And they always bet on it, and and he got all hammered and bet on uh, Foolish Pleasure, which lost the Derby, and he got all hammered and wrote a song because he pissed off Susan, <laughs> and that's. That's kind of what, it's like, hey, Susan, you're a, you are a jewel, but the rarest I've ever seen. I wish I could polish off all the edges of my craziest dream. Just one of the best songs, just one of the best stream of conscious kind of songs I've ever heard. I, still knocks me out.
0: I knew we were going to have something in common, Jack Ingram. I just knew it because nobody, when they think of Jerry Jeff, it's always Sangria Wine. It's always L.A. Freeway. It's always, you know, there's a ton of great stuff. Guy Clark stuff that he did, Ray Wiley Hubbard stuff that he did. But that song... Derby Day, like literally will leave you speechless. And it's left me speechless every time I listen to it. And I still don't get the hundred percent gist of it, right? Like it's like so personal of his inside psyche that I'm just like, damn it, what did it take for this man to write these songs? The lyrics that you just said about the edges and the all of the things about Susan, like it's so deep to me, but still so simple. It really is. It's just it's so, so great.
1: simple. Well, the thing is that it's, it's just it's so unique. It's from one man's perspective and a very unique perspective. You know, like everything I do is backwards. You know the way I am. You know, I know, you know, I love, you know, I love, you know, a silvery line. And he's just saying, like, it's so simple. He's just, he's giving an example. Like everything I do is backwards. You know how it is. And then he jumbles up some sentence to show her like at the end of the day, you know, what I just said is I love you.
0: No matter how
1: I said it. (laughs)
0: Do you, get, do you get romantic about stuff like that, Jack? Does that make you want to go hug your wife and your kids when you know that that much freaking love came across in a line like that? And tell me on the backside of your question, Jack Ingram, please. Ha- have you hit that line yet that makes you go, holy shit, like I'm going to go grab onto my loved ones right now. Have you written that line in your career yet?
1: Well, hey, yes, it does make me romantic about and sentimental about, what music can do and how it can connect people. Um, That's why I got into this thing was because songs like that, you know, I probably heard that song Derby Day before I ever had a, you know, I know I heard that song before I had a family or probably didn't even have a girlfriend, but whatever, whatever I was doing, it made me tear up and get the chills and want to, and want to be with people special to me and let them know how much I feel about them. And yeah, every now and again, well, at some point that same feeling comes across every time I'm, every time I write a song, especially when I write it by myself, there's some point that gives me that kind of feeling of like, yes, this song is worth all the effort that I'm gonna put into it because it just gave me the chills. And the next line, if I get it right, it's gonna give me the chills. And that's the bar that I set for myself of, just cause a line works doesn't mean it should be in the song. Because there's another, there's another there's another unconscious thing that happens when you sing a line to yourself and you know you just knock yourself. Like you just go, oh, yep, yeah, that's the line. And you might you don't even have to know what it means. But in every one of my songs, I'm pretty confident, I know that's the goal, and I'm pretty sure I've met it a few times.
0: Guaranteed you have. Um before I move on to this statement. Man, I love listening to you talk, dude. I love the the mind that you have when it comes to explaining shit. And then when you did that voice of the beginning of Derby Day, it just like made my day. Like I when I hear that come on, <laughs> I'm just like, "God, I miss Jerry Jeff." Um my song at my wedding our first dance song was I love you by Jerry Jeff. And when he Woman, sings I
1: love you. Oh, oh, I love
0: Louisiana and just the whole, like, like it brings me back to like, how could I F up my marriage? How could I fuck up my marriage after I gave it the pledge with Jerry Jeff singing that song? It's almost like, Life just t- hits you in the ass and mine did, you know, and it got away to where, and music is what brings me back a lot of times and grounds me of this life that wasn't supposed to be. I was just, I was supposed to sell portable toilets and pump them out for a living. And then one thing yeah. led to the next and now I'm sitting here going, man, I've made some mistakes. And then music brings me back to that grounding feeling, um, and I and I and I wanna go into what you did with the I think you won, and correct me if I'm wrong, but Song of the Year last year, or the year before with Tin Man, correct? Yeah, in
1: 2018.
0: This is a song that hits you in the head and the stomach and the gut and just and her delivery, Miranda's delivery on it, is amazing. You've sang it. Um when do you know? That you have something like that did you know when you guys said okay it's it first of all Jackie room how do you know when a song's done and then do you and miranda look at each other and go that's going to be song of the year or, or a guaranteed number one or how do you know
1: no that's the beauty of it all that's the that's the humbling part it's the beauty of it it's the frustrating part is that there's songs that that aren't, aren't even on records that i feel the same uh that I'm just as honored to have been a part of writing that, that don't even get recorded. The, all the songs, not all of them, but you know, a great number of them, you finish them. And when you're finished, you know you're finished because, you're, because you, well the, well, the way I know a song's finished is after I play it for somebody or a crowd or, or somebody who wasn't a part of writing it. And you can tell by, you, you can't tell by their reaction because everybody reacts kind of like, oh yeah, that's cool. And they never go too high or too low. They never say it sucks, and they never say that's the best thing I've ever heard. And when they do, you think they're lying. So, I guess my answer is: when we wrote Ten Man, we we knew that it made us that it gave us the chills. That's the only that's the only thing you can go by is does it make you feel that same way that you want to feel when you when you know you did something right, like when you hit a. When you hit a baseball or when you hit a nine iron and you know it's right or whatever it is, that's how that song felt. But the next statement is, I've written a bunch of those songs that felt that good that didn't go anywhere. There's no awards attached to a bunch of songs of mine that I felt really good about. So you just kind of write them and you let them, you see if they're going to go out and find their own destiny because that's all you can do.
0: Do you mind telling me how that idea comes up? Do you guys, do you call Miranda or do you get in a room with her and somebody has the idea already and you just start going off of that vision or maybe a line that they've already come up with? Or how does a song that becomes so big start?
1: That particular song, uh, we were, John Randall and Miranda and I were hanging out and somehow we were talking about following your heart and everybody says that you should follow your heart and and we were you know I was like yeah well they they don't tell you how 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 vulnerable that's going to make you and how bad that can hurt sometimes if you follow your heart and then I'm pretty sure Miranda I don't know who said it but I'm pretty sure it was Miranda said well, we should warn the 10 man and we we're just that's that's the moment where you go that's our song that's what we're writing so, that, so there is a moment where somebody says something in a conversation that you're just having and somebody goes boom, that's our song and then you move on from there and, and, and you just kind of come together you know, we're such good friends the, the three of us are that you kind of, you know, mind meld you're almost using one you know, one brain powered by three people it's pretty cool it feels almost like you're hypnotized almost
0: So in fairness, or is it fair to say, Jack Ingram, that a movie that my mom made me watch every year of my childhood when it came on TV would, in my 40s, become one of my favorite songs to listen to because of that vulnerability? (laughs) And I mean, that's really what inspired it is that he didn't have a heart. So he didn't have to worry about being vulnerable. He didn't have none of those worries. He didn't have to worry about ever being heartbroken, which sucks. It sucks to be heartbroken. How cool is that, man? That is songwriting (laughs) at its best.
1: Well, it's also, you know, taking what other artists, you know, somebody wrote that story, you know, Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz, somebody, somebody's written like some of these songs that people write are, are inspired by paintings or inspired by other songs or inspired by books. And so that's one of the beautiful parts about being a songwriter is that you're always adding on to a legacy or a, a a mountain that's already been there and you're just you're just trying to do your best to, to add a little something to it and leave it a little better than when you when you found it
0: so well put i mean i could i literally like i'm so honored to have you on here and i know that you're looking at it like i'm just jack Ingram, i'm just a songwriter well to guys like me around the world around this country It's amazing what you've done and what you've let us feel through your insight, through your words, through your pencil or pen, through an idea and seeing it all the way through to fruition to to be able to to put it down and say, this is me, this is this is who I am. And hopefully you get a feeling out of this song. And man, they just crush me. Like, there's so many songs in your library that I listen to daily and on my playlist. And that's why when I got the chance to meet you and sit down and say, hey, I get to talk to Jack Ingram, I, I didn't want to just be like, well... You know, my favorite song is this, Tell Me About How You Wrote. it. I just think that there's so much more to you than that. And hopefully I get to do it again because I could talk to you for hours is my point, Jack. Because I'd love to go fishing with you. I'd love to hang out and enjoy something that we have in common and see you in concert again, man. Because it is a badass career and you're just a kick-ass dude, man. Now I know. I like that too, man. I would love it, dude. I would love it to sit down with you and like to know that like your are buddies with one of the famous actors of our time and that you're just – It's just a buddy of yours. That's the coolest thing about life is that Matthew is everybody in this world probably knows who he is. Yeah. And and he's your buddy. You're probably going to go to Chili's with him tonight and eat some baby back ribs. And that's just, I probably should not say that in Texas. People in Texas don't eat Chili's (laughs) baby back ribs. (laughs) Maybe in Michigan they do, Jack. Maybe in Michigan they do. I just did a podcast this morning with a, uh, 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 yeah, you might know him. Do you know Matt Pittman from meat church barbecue? Check him out. He's, he, he cooks with uh, Roger Krieger once in a while. He does some stuff with Whiskey Myers, and he just did. Ah, shit. He just did. He's a big fan of yours, but he's in. Oh, t- wait. Meat Church? Yeah, Meat Church Barbecue Supply.
1: So, yeah, man, I met him. I met him. I went in uh, a couple months ago. Miranda played Billy Bob's for the first time after the pandemic. And, um, yeah, they, they were out back with the entire band and crew teaching them how to cook a brisket. And I walked by. as was like, rookies. <laughs>
0: He was at Miranda's grand opening in Nashville a couple weeks ago. He was hanging out there. That makes
1: sense, man. That makes sense. Yeah, those those are good guys.
0: Yeah. Anyway, I was talking to him about Texas barbecue, and it's the same thing. It's that. It's that. You know, that shelf that y'all are on about. And you know, I asked him about Carolina and Memphis and Kansas City and all that, and he says it all comes back to Texas, man. It all comes back to Texas. But man, you're. you're, you're, Go ahead. What's that?
1: I was just thinking about Guy Clark. He, uh, my buddy, brought him some barbecue. And the only, and he had he had brisket and ribs and then he had some pulled pork and guy Clark look open it up and he closed it he goes pork. <laughs> <laughs> that was
0: it.
1: Uh, he was pissed that they put pork on the plate.
0: Um, have you heard of a singer songwriter from Alabama named Adam Hood that's in Texas a while yeah, ago? Oh my I god. Thank you so much, I'm Jack, one for of saying
1: that. my good friends and great songwriter, great singer. And you mentioned Brent Cobb earlier. He's one of my favorites too, man.
0: God, I Even love you, Jack. You're freaking unreal. Your style, and I'm not kissing your ass, but those are my boys. Like those are the guys that when I talk to them, they talk about you. Like I met Hayes through Brent, and I met you. Yeah. I met you through Adam because they know they he knew Kevin, and he and he helped me hook all this up. And it's like, how lucky, man? How freaking well, lucky. Hayes, is,
1: Hayes is one of the reasons this happened, anyway. Yeah, because. Uh, Kevin called Hayes and said, hey, was this cool or whatever? And Hayes was like, yeah, it's great. So yeah, I and mean, it's all kind of all interconnected. People that like this kind of music, there's a certain strain of whatever that is that, that, that I try to put a finger on, that you're trying to put a finger on, whether it's Chris Knight or Brent Cobb or Hayes Carl or Jerry Jeff or Todd Snyder or, or countless other people that we're talking about. It's like, it's connect, it's country music. It is. But it's just, it's just, it's not willing to be, it's not willing to put on a, you know, too much fringe and bullshit. Like we're not singing on hay bales. It's, it's singing about the reason why people love a cowboy is because cowboys are, are different. Mm-hmm. They, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're full of emotion and you'd never know it. And when they say, I love you, they mean it. And there's just a certain code that I think people identify with. And then there's the other thing where it's like, you know, there's a a time and a place for the other kind of music too. The the get together and party, and we like to do that too. You know what I mean? Like there's a place for all of it. Dolly Parton, Carrie Underwood is a special talent. Does she do what I do? No. No. But yes, you know, in in a certain respect, she, country music makes her cry too. It's just a different kind.
0: Well I text Hayes one time and I hope that you understand what I what I mean by this is that I text him one time and I said, There was many nights when you would leave the stage where I couldn't leave the venue, where like I was stuck in and i'm not trying to be all like drama i was just trying to show him like my mind was in a different place and i say the same thing to you that when you leave that stage i hope you understand jack ingram what's being done to the people that just witnessed it like it might just be another show to you because you do this nightly i know they're special to you and i know that you go from it from dance hall to green hall to broken like wherever you're playing nugget reno tahoe whatever but you got to understand that when you leave that microphone and I told Hayes the same thing that you fuck some people up, man, like you really leave them sitting there going, Holy shit. That's what I needed. And that's what I know that yeah, you mean about how therapeutic what you do is, man. So thank you so much.
1: You're welcome. That's, that's the whole reason I got into it. I used to sit in, I used to sit in the same, I mean, I still do sometimes sit in the same audience seat. And when they're down, I go, Oh wow. Holy shit. And then I go, go write a song, man.
0: Speaking of writing a song, man, and you just mentioned Brent Cobb. He told me that he he thinks that his favorite country song that has ever been written is by Guy Clark off of the Texas Cooking album, number two. It's called Anyhow, I Love You. Do you feel the same that that could be a perfect country song? I know that David Allen Coe says about the the perfect country western song, but Brent Cobb says Anyhow, I Love You.
1: Just you waiting till the morning when yep. you wake up with me at your side, find a lot about nothing.
0: That's kind of like Jerry Jeff in Derby Day, right? That song is sick. And Brent Cobb That's introduced the whole me
1: to it. that it's a unique take on such an old thing of like, how do I prove my love to you? Well, that song would do it. And it's like, what did he just say? It's like, I. I all I know is you said I wouldn't trade a tree of, I wouldn't trade a tree for the way I feel about you in the morning How, anyhow I love you <laughs> Like
0: what what I love <laughs> Dude, that's, that's so awesome how you can break it down man i want to hang out bro i want to come down i'm coming down to dallas uh august 13th for the texas trophy hunters association convention and i'm going to hit the stop it's actually at the fort worth convention center um hope man i don't know if you're going to be around but maybe i can look you up and freaking hang around and yeah come man see uh, you.
1: give me a call or a text or whatever and uh if i'm around playing and hook up if I'm up there we'll hook
0: up Dude, Roger plays that uh, Friday night at, at Billy Bob's on that Friday night Krieger's playing that that night I just saw they announced it so I might go check that out I don't know if you run with him at all but maybe we could go hang out he'd bring well, you well if I'm there. around if I'm around I will that would be awesome. Well, I'll um stay on for a second as I say bye I'll, I'll uh, after I stop recording, but dude, for real, that Jack Ingram's music to me is you've heard me say this about certain individuals about what my life has been and in 45 years, I look back on wh- where music fits in. And it's the early days of my mom listening to Elvis and my dad listening to Willie and my dad playing gospel on the piano and us going to church and me hearing the hymns. But it also had to do with quiet riot in 1982 and metal health and twisted sister. And D Snyder was my first concert opening for Bruce Dickinson and iron maiden in 1986. And ever since those days Music has meant so much to me and being able to talk to somebody like Jack Ingram after I've been left in that audience sitting there going, no, please don't let this be the encore. No, please don't let this night end. I still am mesmerized by putting on a song and listening to it and to hear Jack do the beginning of Derby date again, or to hear him sing a little bit about Guy Clark's song. Anyhow, I love you. Please go out and get Jack Ingram in your ears, see him on the road and just understand what these songs and these lyrics and the melodies and the harmonies and what they're doing the new album that he did with john and miranda it will hit you like a ton of bricks and it's so simple jack i want to get into that album more the next time but congratulations on being able to put your voice on a three and a half minute story and leave somebody absolutely mesmerized like you know and and the air knocked out of them like they just took a sucker punch in the gut
1: thanks man that's that's always the goal I love it. Punch him. Hit him hard.
0: <laughs> That's Jack Ingram. This life ain't for everybody. Jack Daniels, thank you. Enjoy it responsibly. Never allowed underage drinking. Jack, I don't know. I ask every artist this, but publishing and all that plays a role. But can I go out of the podcast with a Jack, Ingr- with a Jack Ingram song? Yeah. Can I pick one? Do you want to play one or do you want me to play it out? It's up to you 100%. <laughs>
1: Well, you play one, what do you wanna play?
0: Well, I was gonna, are you looking for a guitar? Yeah,
1: I got one.
0: Right oh, shit, this would blow my mind. See, I didn't. I, Jack, I wasn't even gonna have the balls to ask you to do this. What, what do I wanna hear? Well, no, since I'm doing it,
1: I'll, I'll play one from the Marfa tapes.
0: Perfect. Which one is it? I'm looking at the album right now.
1: It's called Anchor.
0: This is Anchor, the new Marfa tapes. <laughs> Jack Ingram, John Randall, Miranda (coughs) Lambert. Thank you all. Yes, sir, I can hear it. This is going to be amazing. Y'all continue to listen to the podcast, get Jack Ingram's music. He's all over the place. Thank you, Jack Ingram. This is Anchor by Jack Ingram. Thanks, ma'am. When
1: the moonlight hits the water, the reflection. It's your ride. I can't take it any longer. And this rope is pulling tight. Be my anchor. Pull me under in this river. Here tonight. Cause I can't breathe When I'm with you When I'm with you I can fly When you give in There's stillness And a comfort That you can find When you give up this salvation and the sweetest suicide be my anchor, pull me under in this river Here night. Cause I can't breathe when I'm with you. When I'm with you I can fly Be my angel Come and save me Come and take me to the other side.